What form will the coronation take? How will it reflect modern Britain? We know that four members of the House of Lords, a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu and a Sikh, will have key roles. They'll carry to the altar of Westminster Abbey the ancient ornaments used in the coronation. Pope Francis has given Charles a processional cross featuring tiny shards of wood believed to come from the cross on which Christ himself was crucified. But for all the pomp and statecraft, this is essentially a religious ceremony. Catherine Pepinster is author of Defenders of the Faith, The British Monarchy, Religion and the Coronation. The coronation for hundreds of years has been in Westminster Abbey, which many people describe as the mother church of the Church of England and other people describe it as the parish church of England. So the setting will be an Anglican setting. There are three key parts, the anointing of the monarch, the oath-taking, that's not quite so religious. It's more legal, but it's about religion, and the crowning, and the monarch is crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury. So those are the key components, if you like, surrounded by prayers, surrounded by readings and surrounded by religious music. So it adds up to a pretty religious ceremony. You've raised this question of whether it could be what you call a melting pot coronation. What would a melting pot coronation look like? Of course, you know, we haven't had a coronation for 70 years. Britain has changed very much. The Commonwealth changed in that time too. So there have been debates about how it might change. So I think that there are very likely to be the involvement of different Christian denominations. And I think there'll also be the involvement of other faiths. I think it's entirely likely there will be a procession that would involve uh, Muslim representatives, Jewish representatives. We have many Hindus, Sikhs, etc. in in the UK and, of course, from the Commonwealth too. So I think they'll be involved. The thing that is worth remembering is that Westminster Abbey has form in involving other faiths because a significant event, annual event that's held at Westminster Abbey is the Commonwealth Day service every year that the royal family attend. And that for many, many years has had the involvement of representatives of other faiths. So they know how to do it. And the other thing that happened was between the death of Elizabeth II and her funeral, there were several church services around Britain in the capitals of the devolved nations, those are Edinburgh, Cardiff and Belfast, and they had the involvement of other denominations. And the one in Cardiff, a Muslim said one of the prayers as well. So they know how to do it. Mm. Uh, There is a very sacred, but it's also very secretive part of a coronation ceremony. We haven't seen it for, what, 71 years? And we didn't really even see it 71 years ago when the late Queen was crowned. What happens during the anointing? The anointing, according to people I've spoken to who are religious experts, say that's the most essential religious service, much more important than the coronation. This is the moment when the monarch is 
blessed. It's very much like a sacrament. It's akin to priestly ordination in many ways. God's grace is bestowed on the person and God's grace will help them in their service over the years. And they're anointed, as often happens in sacraments such as baptism and confirmation, with holy oils. When this last happened with Queen Elizabeth II, she was hidden by a canopy from both the congregation inside Westminster Abbey and also from the television cameras. That was the first coronation shown live on television. But that moment was viewed as so sacred and so precious and so intimate that it wasn't shown. Yes, isn't part of the new monarch's breast exposed and a cross is made on it by the Archbishop of Canterbury? That's why it's so secretive. Yes, the head is also anointed with oil and and the breast too. Yes, the sign of the cross made. It is an intimate, very holy moment. And Elizabeth II was stripped of some of her very rich coronation robes. And then she was just in a white shift for that moment. So very simple gown, rather like babies are dressed in white or adults in white when they're baptised. It was almost a form of initiation and it, it suggests a kind of purity about it. I personally don't think that the king is going to be suddenly removing what is probably going to be military uniform and be suddenly in a kind of white tunic. I think that's unlikely. When it's a queen uh, who's being anointed and crowned, there's something a bit more sacrificial about it to a slightly disturbing extent, I think. And uh, I just don't think it will have that kind of characteristic with an elderly man. Now, there is, uh, let us say, a little transactional business that goes on in the midst of all this religious piety. I did note in your book you say that uh, there's an oath that the king will uphold the Church of England, but some have wrangled at this oath. They say the Archbishop of Canterbury is basically extracting privileges for the Church of England before he agrees to anoint the new monarch. (laughs) Quid pro quo there. Indeed. In that way, the coronation does remind us all that in Britain, church and state are very much intertwined. The Church of England is the established church. And in 1953, when Elizabeth II was crowned, when she had her coronation, that was possibly more acceptable for a couple of reasons. One was that we weren't such a multicultural, religiously diverse nation as we are now. The other thing that's happened is that the different nations that make up the United Kingdom, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, have asserted their identity far more, I think, than they had in 1953. So, It feels more noticeable somehow that the Church of England is taking this role for itself, crowning and being in charge of the coronation of a monarch for the UK and indeed for the realms elsewhere. And some people might say, well, should they be doing that? Is that really their role? How is King Charles's interest in all religion, not just Christianity, a useful form of soft power for modern Britain. 
I think it really has been. And in the past, there have been people who raise their eyebrows at the involvement of the heir to the throne with other religions, the extent to which he has seemed to be so interested in, in other religions, particularly Islam. And at one time, he said that he would rather have the title defender of faith rather than uh, the traditional title of defender of the faith that monarchs in Britain take. That caused quite a controversy when he said that 30 years ago, but he's manoeuvring away to do this, yet also hang on to tradition. So when he acceded to the throne and we had the gathering of what's called the Accession Council. He was proclaimed as king. He was proclaimed as defender of the faith, not defender of faith. And yet, at the same time, he held a gathering in Buckingham Palace, a reception for faith leaders of different faiths, where he promised that it was his role as monarch to effectively defend all faiths. And that interest in other faiths has been something that he's taken abroad. His interest in Islam has been noted in Middle East countries, and that has helped our government. So I think he probably thinks he has, after all, been on the right course all along. Catherine Pepinster, author of Defenders of the Faith, The British Monarchy, Religion and the Coronation. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.